from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I use the word adult use because I think that there is a connotation about saying recreational that I think advocates of legalized marijuana don't like. I'm not saying anybody can set up a dispensary, but it's easier to do that. And I think that's what the battle was all about. It's also, I think, a green light for the Chichara Jones agenda, particularly a time when St. Louis City has a lot of money to allocate. We're going to be talking in 2024 about Republicans winning every statewide election again until they can find candidates that can create the urban-suburban-rural coalition that I talk about incessantly. You know, I think that we're going to have our work cut out for for us to build a a St. Louis Board of Aldermen that residents can trust. I'm just saying it would be a different race if it's Megan Green versus an African-American. Part of it is the nationalization of our politics. We saw Eric Schmidt winning by almost the exact same margin that Donald Trump won Missouri. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. Voters across the country headed to the polls yesterday, and many more voters cast their ballots early in Missouri's first year of no-excuse absentee voting. We've got all sorts of races at the local, regional, and state level to look at, as well as how our local politics fit into the broader American moment right now. So joining me in studio to make some sense of it all are Jason Rosenbaum, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent. Good morning, Jason. I think I saw you sleeping under a desk last night. I've only, I I just chortled, but no. That's not true. <laughs> you've, you've, you're quick on the draw. Uh, Anita Mannion, Assistant Professor of Political Science at University of Missouri-St. Louis. Anita and Jason, thanks so much for making it in today. Thank thanks you so much. Us. Yeah. So, Jason, were, any surprises to you last night? I think it was a bit of a surprise that Missouri House Democrats gained a few seats. Um, I think that there was some expectation if this Republican red mega wave like, swept across the country – that it was possible for them to lose seats, and that didn't happen. Um, I, I also think that the margin of Tracy McCurry's victory over George Haruza was was more than I was expecting. I think she won by six points. I was expecting more of a one- or two-point margin. But I was not surprised by the, the Missouri Senate race. I was definitely not surprised by the auditor's contest. And I was also not surprised that we are not having a constitutional convention. Hmm. Anita, did anything jump out at you last night? I agree with what Jason said about the state legislature. And I was really watching that St. Louis County uh, executive race and as well as the president of the Board of Aldermen race. Uh, to me, those were two interesting ones. Eric Schmidt, I feel like we sort of knew how that was going to go. And so I thought it was interesting that Page won with that fairly narrow margin in a Democratic county. Uh, so it's interesting. I think it was largely a referendum on Page and some of his COVID policies and also some of the tension he's had with the county board. Hmm. Well, something else that's top of mind for a lot of voters is abortion rights. uh, Republicans across the country have outlawed abortion care to different extents since the Supreme Court overturned its precedent in Roe v. Wade. But last night, voters in California, Vermont, Michigan all uh, created abortion protections in those state constitutions. Kentucky voters rejected a question that would have made it much harder to expand abortion rights there in the future. Uh, So here, do, do yesterday's results have any impact on access to abortion care in Missouri and Illinois? Jason? Uh, in Illinois, yes, because J.B. Pritzker won. And in the extremely unlikely event in two years that Republicans take over the Illinois legislature, he would veto them. That mean that's not happening. Um, in Missouri, not really, because the Missouri legislature is still heavily Republican and there's still a Republican governor. What I am looking for 
or what I'm watching for is that if opponents of the Missouri abortion ban start gathering signatures in like a month or hmm. two to put something on the ballot in 2024 to either completely repeal Missouri's abortion ban, which bans abortions with the exception of medical emergencies and maybe replace it with something else. Um, I I think that's highly possible that that's what we could see in 2024. And that's going to have a pretty big impact on the, the governor's race, which will be open, and perhaps the U.S. Senate race where Josh Hawley will be on the ballot. Hmm. Anita, do you see anything from yesterday uh, moving the, the conversation about abortion rights here? I would agree with Jason. Those of us who watch Missouri politics have long observed that we elect candidates with conservative views at the same time we pass ballot initiatives that are pretty progressive. And so I think that would be the tactic that opponents of the BAM would take. I also noticed that, you know, staunch pro-life candidates such as Eric Schmidt and Ann Wagner even moderated their language a Mm. bit in the general election. So I think that there is an appetite in Missouri to adjust that current law. And I think when it comes to the question of abortion rights specifically, voters in a lot of places are proving a little unpredictable. Right. And we saw what happened in Michigan, to Jason's point. It could be a strategy for Democrats in Missouri to get this on the ballot in 2024, drive turnout among younger people and progressives, and maybe make some inroads. Yeah, but they need to find candidates that can take advantage of that. And there are a number of female elected officials that have proven adept at winning competitive elections. Tracy McCreary is one. Lauren Arthur on the Kansas City side is another. Crystal Quaid is the House Democratic leader. Um, You know, Democrats need candidates for governor in the U.S. Senate and also some of the down-ballot races. Why not make the top two women? Mm. I think that they really should start thinking about that, like, now. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of women having success at the polls, one of the closely watched races around here was the, the race for uh, president of the St. Louis Board of Alders. And Megan Green uh, did come out ahead in that. She became the first woman ever in that seat. Jason, both of these candidates are Democrats, but does the result last night tell us anything about where St. Louis voters are moving right now? I, I think that it, it was a pretty resounding victory, too. And the turnout is would, is higher in this type of election in November than it would have been in a, a March or an April election. So it's, it's pretty obvious that St. Louis voters liked what uh, President-elect Green had for them. Um, and she has been, I think, uh, the leader of the so-called progressive wing of, on the board, she was a, a supporter of Bernie Sanders and has actually spoken at rallies before. And it, it, it also just means that on the Board of Estimate and Apportionment, uh, Mayor Tashara Jones will have two people that I think will support her generally. Darling Green, the comptroller, is pretty independent-minded and may not agree with Tashara Jones all the time. But uh, Mayor Jones went all in for Megan Green, and at least for five months— She'll she'll have this on on the board of estimate and apportionment, but there's another election in March, yeah. and I'm looking to see if a African American candidate runs for this office, and I think the dynamics of the contest will be vastly different than what we saw yesterday when we had two white candidates. Doesn't mean that Megan Green can't win. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying it would be a different race if it's Megan Green versus an African-American candidate. And also a different electorate uh, with an election time then. Yes. Lower turnout for sure. Anita, are the progressives in St. Louis in the ascendancy? 
It certainly seems that way when you look at Tashara Jones, Megan Green with a resounding win, Corey Bush. Uh, it certainly it seems that the progressives are solidly grounded in St. Louis City. Well, let's hear from Megan Green now, who joins us on the phone. Madam Board President-elect, congratulations on last night. Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for being able to fit us in today. I'm sure it's a busy day. Uh, so, yeah? Just a little bit. Just, Just a, little a little bit. bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this this was a much-watched race, but the results weren't terribly close in the end. What did you make of, of what you heard from voters yesterday? You know, we ran a campaign that was really about hope for the future and building a St. Louis that works for everyone, and I think that resonated vote with voters. I think more and more we want to see candidates with policies that are connecting north and south that are inclusive of all people in our city and and really focus on some of the root causes of a lot of the issues that our city has whether it is around crime or health disparities yeah and, and of course the reason this opportunity came up was that uh previous president of the alderman lewis reed did resign and pled guilty to corruption charges leaving you the last five months of that term to fill out is and he's one of several aldermen just in the past year who we saw facing similar uh, similar legal issues. Is is there a broken culture at City Hall right now? I mean, I think that we're going to have our work cut out for for us to build a, a St. Louis Board of Aldermen that residents can trust. And I think we're going to have to be much more transparent with our leadership going forward, especially around development decisions to ensure that, that folks in the city really do feel like they can trust city government. Yeah. Well, St. Louis now has has women leaders as mayor, congressional representative, now president of the Alders. What does that mean for the city? You know, we know that women get things done. You know, we know how to work collaboratively, even if we don't agree on everything. And so I think it's a really exciting moment for our city to elect, you know, a, a bunch of high profile, you know, powerful women who know how to get down to business, know how to work together and know how to get things done. Well, one thing about the, the St. Louis system with, with the elections for president of aldermen is, is it pits people who may be political allies on other issues against each other. Uh, after this race, how are you going to mend fences on the board and move forward? You know, I think it, it starts by, you know, having individual sit downs with each alder person, really getting a sense of what their priorities are for the last nine months or nine weeks of this session that we have and, uh, and build in a common agenda to get some things done. I mean, I think residents in the city of St. Louis are tired of a lot of the infighting and they want to see us come together to actually work on some of these challenges. So um, I, I think we have a, a coalition of folks at the board that are willing to do that, even some folks that did not support me. And I will continue to have an open door for anybody at the board to come to me with ideas that they have, things they like to see done, and let's figure out how to work together to do it. And I think we did hear last night you plan to run for the for the full term in a few months? I do, yes. How do you like your chances? You know, I think pretty good after, you know, looking at, at last night's victory. It we, we won by a healthy margin. Voter turnout was higher than it typically would be in municipal elections. So I think it puts us in a good place going into the spring. Megan, thank you so much for visiting with us today. We really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on. And we were talking with Megan Green, the newly elected president of the St. Louis Board of Aldermen. What do you make of what you hear there, Anita? Yeah, I think that 
you know, Megan is talking about unifying the city. I think that is important coming after this race in which we had two Democrats facing off. It is also, I think, a green light for the Tashara Jones agenda, particularly a time when St. Louis City has a lot of money to allocate. And so this is a real victory for Tashara Jones as well as Megan Green. Is there a, a, a Jones-Green uh, coalition coming here? It'll, it, re- it will remain to be seen. You know, I was I was chatting with somebody yesterday just about how the, the culture of St. Louis City politics may seem really acrimonious, but actually can be pretty collaborative when push comes to shove. Um, for example, I didn't really see much acrimony over the COVID restrictions in the hmm. city, whereas the county was thermonuclear war. Um, and I, I think that there probably are areas of agreement even amongst factions. St. Louis City politics is very factionalized, and Megan Green is on a faction that doesn't always agree with other people on the board. But I think that there's probably some common ground on on some things. We'll just have to see what those are, and it's only a five-month term. So I think that we have to temper our expectations. If she wins a full term, I guess the expectations go way up. She also mentioned development, and I think that's important in city politics right now when we've seen the bribery and scandals that have led to those resignations. So I think that should be important on the board's radar moving forward. And the board's going through, obviously, a a significant reorganization with the reduction in the the number of of alders. With the personalities involved and everything that's happening in this partial term, from what you see, uh, Anita, do you feel like this is a body that is able to legislate right now, that's able to lead the city and look for some solutions to some of these problems? I do. Like Jason said, they've shown the ability to come together when they need to, even though there are different factions. And so I'm hopeful that they'll come together. This is a critical time for St. Louis. Yeah, I would say that the Board of Aldermen right now is much more functional than the St. Louis County Council. Right. So, I mean, that's a good baseline to, to go out. All right. Well, in the county council race, Sam Page, of course, handily won re-election as the St. Louis County Executive. Uh, in his victory speech last night, he urged a greater focus on racial equity in, in housing, education, and employment. Until we address race, until there are enough good schools, good housing, good jobs, good transportation, good child care, and good retirements for everyone, regardless of where they live in St. Louis County. Anita, is, is there is is the person in that seat, the, the county executive, able to take a holistic approach like that and, and look at root problems of issues and and make some kind of changes to things like this that have plagued us for quite a while? They do have some ability to look at where we invest funds, how we do that, um, what some of those guidelines are. Uh, we've certainly seen in the, the campaign, Sam Page talk a lot more, I think, about equity and some of these social and cultural issues, where Mark Monavani was really focused on being an administrator and running the county more like an efficient business. Are these conversations about social justice issues things you typically hear from the, the county executive, Jason? I mean... Yes, especially since Ferguson. And since Ferguson happened in St. Louis County, I think it has to be top of mind for the leader of this county, even if like a lot of the solutions to some of these centuries-old problems of racism and economic disparity, it's too much for county government to handle. I I do just want to say, I don't really think his victory was that resounding. I think he Mm -hmm. only won by four or five or six percentage points. And Trudy Bush Valentine got well over 60 percent. 
And more importantly, Sam Page does not have a majority of supporters on the county council. Dennis Hancock beat Vicki England in the third district contest. So we have status quo where you have a county executive that does not have a support of a majority on the council. They could, it's going to be like two more years of what we've seen over the last two years, which for for county residents that actually pay attention to county government is probably going to be pretty frustrating. Is there any way to break through that? Um, I think that the way to break through that is Sam Page needs to be more collaborative with the four members of the council that don't agree with him on things. So that's Rita Days and Shalonda Webb on the Democratic side and Dennis Hancock and Mark Harder um, on the Republican side. And I also should note that Ernie Trakis, who is a Sam Page ally, doesn't always agree with him. So there could be instances where there are five people that disagree with, with Sam Page. And, you know, I... I don't really, I really, it's hard when I'm articulating that to figure out, like, is this an endorsement of Sam Page? Like, I, they, the, the voters still want him in office, but they have a county council that isn't going to just rubber stamp everything. And this has been kind of the way county government has been structured for the last 10 years or so. And I, I don't know if this is the best way to handle county government, but I think you could also make an argument that if you had a county executive with a 7-0 council that just agreed with them all the time, I don't know if that would be good either. So maybe maybe we're in kind of a good place, depending on your perspective. Anita, is your forecast for the county council um, some more dysfunction? I think so, unfortunately. I do think that Sam Page is not going to have that rubber stamp. And I agree with Jason that the margin isn't what he probably was hoping for, especially in a county that has been Democratic for 30 years and an opponent that came in at the last minute and switched parties. So, you know, if that was the margin with Shemed Dogan and he had won the primary and went through this race, that would make, you know, a little more sense. But I think that this is not the greatest victory for Sam Page. I do just want to add, though, that I think St. Louis County Republicans own gold, own gold themselves. I think if mm. they would have voted for Shamed Dogan instead of Catherine Pinner in the primary, I think that it's very possible that this race could have been decided by one point, or maybe Shamed Dogan even could have won. Now, Shamed Dogan has to take responsibility for maybe not campaigning as much as he should have during the primary, but like... St. Louis County Republicans writ large have to take responsibility for nominating Catherine Pinner, who was a totally unworkable candidate, and and then requiring this very complicated switch to Mark Montavani at the last minute. And I'll give credit to Mr. Montavani, like that was not easy to like go into that situation. Yeah. And I would say he did pretty well, given that the county is a sixty percent Democratic county. I just don't think he he just didn't have enough time to really build things up. And I think if uh, if things had worked out different with Shamed Dogan, we may be having a different conversation here. But it, that's not the way that it happened. And I think that St. Louis County Republicans as an electorate have to take responsibility for that if they're upset that Sam Page is county executive to, uh, for the next four years. Well, uh, uh, another closely watched thing we were looking for last night um, was the question of the Missouri ballot about a constitutional amendment to allow some recreational marijuana use. And in a less talked about feature of the question, also actually stiffening legal penalties for people in possession of, of more than a certain amount. So now that voters have approved this, uh, 
what happens now? Smoke them if you got them? Not, not yet. Uh, it's going to take, I think, until December for it actually to go into the Constitution. And it's there's going to be a process to, like, issue rec- – uh, I, I, I use the word adult use because I think that there is a connotation about saying recreational that I think advocates of legalized marijuana don't like. But linguistic uh, uh, contortions aside, I think uh, it's – we've seen in other states that when – adult use marijuana is legalized. It's not an instant process. It takes a while for the ecosystem to be set up. And I think that's going to happen in Missouri. But um, I think that this showcases that legalized marijuana is not just popular amongst Democrats. It's popular amongst Republicans and conservative places like Jefferson County and St. Charles County as well. Yeah. Well, John John Payne was campaign manager for Legal Missouri 2022. And he spoke to reporters during a watch party last night after claiming the win. So many times during this campaign, the whole thing hung in the balance, and we didn't know if we were going to make it. But it was because of the people in this room and those celebrating across the state that we made it through. Uh, our statehouse reporter, Sarah Kellogg, was at the victory party last night. She heard those words, and, and she tweeted this. Truly, I believe the Amendment 3 watch party declaring victory and then the immediate lighting of approximately one million blunts may be the most memorable moment, one of the most memorable moments of my recording career. <laughs> Uh, reporting career. So, uh, but in in reality, Anita, what what uh, there's been so much talk about this in the in the Missouri legislature, and bills have been introduced. What happens to all that now? Does that conversation continue? Yeah, this is really interesting. This is an issue that had Tashara Jones and Mike Parson on the same side yeah. <laughs> opposing Amendment Three. I think the timeline for implementation that I've heard is February. Um, so, like Jason said, it would not be an immediate change. Many people thought the bill that was in the state legislature, a bipartisan bill, was a much stronger um, as far as terms of equity and clarity than Amendment 3. But it never got a vote in the state Senate. It wasn't moving forward. And this well-funded, well-organized group that got the ballot initiative sort of preempted that. And I also think that that the entire debate, even though there was like criticism of the amendment because of what you mentioned about the possession limits or that you could get fined for smoking marijuana on the street. I think that the it was a bigger philosophical battle between a system that had a limited amount of licenses and a more generous system where, you know, I'm not saying anybody can set up a dispensary, but it's easier to do that. And I think that's what the battle was all about. And I think that the limited system is what we're going to have for a while. If uh, the federal government or, or Congress acts on legalizing marijuana and standardizes procedures across the country, we may be talking about something completely different, but we're not there yet. And given that we may have a Republican House and a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president, I, I, don't, I just don't really know where that issue is going to go in Congress. Right. I think a lot of the concerns were over the current system that was just approved, advantaging those who were already benefiting from the medicinal marijuana yeah. system. Not surprisingly, since they were backing this amendment, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, you each mentioned one of the one of the less suspenseful moments last night was waiting for the results to come in in the, the Missouri Senate race. Um, Eric Schmidt did pull that out in the end. Uh, but in, to, do, in, in doing so, he becomes the, the second uh, consecutive Missouri attorney general to jump from there to the Senate. And, and like Josh Hawley, he spent some of his time in that office pursuing high-profile cases that endeared him to, to the right nationally, like 
finding a way to sue the Chinese government over COVID-19, which is something a judge quickly tossed out of court. So I'm just wondering what happens to that office right now, of the the attorney general's office? Do do eager young candidates, Republican candidates in this state, see this now as as a stepping stone? Are people going to be lining up to try to follow this pattern? I mean, the attorney general's office has always been seen as a stepping stone for higher office in Missouri. I mean, some have failed, like Chris Coster in 2016 and Bill Webster in 1992. And obviously, those were two very different circumstances. Chris Coster just lost an election and Bill Webster lost an election really badly and then went to jail. But, you know, you have other people like Jane Nixon, who were attorney general for a long time and then became a two-term governor. And now you have Josh Hawley and Eric Schmidt going to the U.S. Senate. Um, I think that most statewide offices in Missouri are highly coveted because it, it can be seen as a stepping stone for something else. Um, and I, I think that attorney general is just a high, especially high profile statewide office, which is why I, I'm assuming uh, there are a lot of attorneys uh, talking with people within Mike Parsons administration, even before Eric Schmidt's uh, victory about getting the appointment for the next couple of years. Yeah. And the election comes in in a broader political context, of course. Eric Schmidt was one of the hundreds of Republican candidates to cycle who refused to accept Joe Biden's victory in the 2020 election based on false claims of voter fraud. And uh, as attorneys, uh, Missouri's attorney general, he did use the office to assist the failed effort to invalidate Joe Biden's victories in four states. Uh, Jason, since the primary, has Eric Schmidt revised his position on whether the United States has a legitimately elected president right now? Uh, He didn't really talk to reporters very much after he won the primary. He did a a statewide tour the day before the election, which I attended, but that that question didn't come up. Um, let Let me just be clear to the listeners. Joe Biden won the 2020 election, and when President, former President Trump says it was stolen, he's he's not telling the truth. So I want to make that clear before what I say next. A lot of Missouri voters think that the elect, especially Missouri Republicans, think that Trump, whatever Trump said is, is true. And whether or not I like that or not, I certainly don't like that reality. It is reality. And I, I think what Schmidt did there by, I think, joining the Texas lawsuit, which I think is what you're referring yeah, to, yeah. It, it plays to those voters who are loyal to former President Trump and care about the issue. I think it's a real problem that the Republican base here and nationally feel that way. But I'm just I'm just I'm not I'm not validating that opinion. I'm just saying that it is a widespread belief within the Republican base in Missouri. And that's why Eric Schmidt likely did that. Yeah. And uh, beyond beyond the, the rhetorical discussion here, Anita, part of a senator's job is to certify the electoral college results after a presidential election. So if a Democratic candidate should happen to win the, the 2024 presidential election, do we have reason to believe a, a Senator Eric Schmidt will accept those results? Well, Senator Josh Hawley did not accept those yeah. in 2020, and I don't have any reason to think that Eric Schmidt would be any different. The, now, one difference might be is in this lame duck session in Congress, it is likely they will revise the Electoral Count Act and make it in a position that it would be more difficult to challenge those results um, and make it clear that the vice president's role is more ceremonial. So that could lessen the impact of those sort of objections. But 
clearly Josh Hawley thought that was a winning strategy for Missouri voters and for his national profile. And I think that Eric Schmidt and he have a lot of the same rhetoric and tactics. Yeah, let's let's hear a word from, from Eric Schmidt. In his victory speech last night, he said uh, it was a win for regular people in Missouri. It's about your families and your jobs and your dreams and the future of this great country. Tonight is about all the regular, hardworking Missourians who've suffered the last two years, those who've been left behind, people who work hard every day and want their children to inherit America they've known and loved. These folks are the heart and soul of America, and I will be their champion in the United States Senate. Were you there last night, Jason? I was. What was the mood among the supporters? It was, they were happy. They certainly weren't surprised. I wasn't surprised that he won. In fact, I would say that when Eric Schmidt won the primary over Eric Greitens, this race that was the election that ended that race there. Now, that's not to say that Trudy Bush Valentine didn't run a spirited campaign and not run uh, television ads that may have actually helped down ballot candidates. So I don't want to say that her place in this race was completely useless, but this race wasn't nationally targeted. Missouri's polls, which I do not like and I think are notoriously inaccurate, uniformly said that Schmidt was up in, by double digits. You you have to look at those data points and be like, Schmidt is heavily favored in this. And it, it, it came to pass. He won by about 13 percentage points. And I, I, I feel like I'm a broken record here, but Missouri Democrats are not going to win statewide elections their strength is solely in St. Louis, Kansas City, and the inner ring suburbs. They have to expand their appeal not only in rural Missouri, which is extraordinarily difficult because, as I mentioned when, with the election denialism question, like rural voters are heavily influenced by conservative media and do not like the National Democratic Party here. But more problematic for the party is, yes, they won some state house races in you know, some of the near suburbs that are closer to the cities. They did not gain any ground in suburbs that are, I would say, conservative-leaning like Jefferson County and St. Charles County. And and on the Kansas City side, Buchanan County, which is not really a suburb, but I'm just saying it's part of the Kansas City metro area. So we're going to be talking in 2024 about Republicans winning every statewide election again until they can find candidates that can create the urban, suburban, rural coalition that I talk about incessantly. Anita, in, in our last moments, I want you to have the, the final word here. Is that the trend you see? Do you see anything different in the, in the immediate future? Yeah, Missouri, We not too long ago, we're a bellwether state, but we keep affirming our yeah. solid red status now. And I think as Jason sort of described, part of it is the nationalization of our politics. And so we saw Eric Schmidt winning by almost the exact same margin that Donald Trump won Missouri. We hear the terminology that he used in that clip you played of sort of grievance politics that largely mirrors Donald Trump and Josh Hawley talking about the woke mob. Um, So I don't know what would disrupt that trend other than, as Jason suggested, some really strong Democratic candidates who could talk less about the cultural issues and more about economic issues to rural voters. Yeah, good candidates come in handy, don't they? That, they sure that, do. That tends to yes, be key. Uh, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much, uh, Jason Rosenbaum and Anita Mannion. Thanks for joining the program. Thank you for having us. Thank you. This episode was produced by Danny Wisentowski audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. 
Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.